From the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit today. Restrictions apply. Actual speed vary and not guaranteed. Every day, Comcast Business is helping businesses big and small go beyond the expected to do the extraordinary. Because beyond a simple transaction, there is making a customer for life. Comcast Business. Beyond fast. Take your business beyond at ComcastBusiness.com. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. During the era of muscle cars, souped-up engines, and great American road trips, Die Hard was born. And for 50 high-performance years, they haven't stopped charging ahead. Die Hard is honoring the spirit of those who have a passion for the road and what they drive by partnering with Sears Auto Center to give you exciting offers to help you get to your next adventure. Right now, buy three Die Hard tires and get one free with installation at a Sears Auto Center near you. Visit SearsAuto.com to find a location. 50 powerful years. Forever Die Hard. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. Welcome, Weirdos. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. In today's episode, all the stories come from my friends at MyHauntedLife2.com. Here you'll find ghost stories, unsolved mysteries, and other stories of the strange and bizarre. I'm always looking for both fiction and nonfiction stories of the paranormal, strange, supernatural, dark, and creepy. You can even send me links to articles creepypastas, and other stories you find online that you feel would be great for the show. You can share them all with me at WeirdDarkness.com. Now, sit back, turn down the lights, and come with me into the Weird Darkness. The Ghost on the Road Submitted by Jilly, originally to Reddit my husband and I had an experience, and creepily enough, it was in Massachusetts. I don't even remember which road it was on, but I can tell you it was on a highway. It wasn't a well-lit major highway, though. It was two lanes in each direction with basically no street lamps, except for one maybe every quarter mile or so. My husband and I had to drive from New Jersey to Rhode Island to do a dog rescue. We'd picked up the dog and were on our way back home when we saw him. There we were, cruising home down this creepy, dark highway. It was doing that misty, half-rain, half-fog thing that makes it even creepier than it is. There was snow on the ground, 
which is the only thing that made visibility not as bad as it could have been. My husband started to slow down and I asked him what was wrong, and he pointed with his chin at a man in what looked like blue jeans and a white shirt. No jacket. It was 35 degrees out. He said, I'm slowing down because I'm leery that this guy might slip and stumble out into the lane or you never know, he's out here dressed like it's 80 degrees out, he might decide to leap in front of us. When we looked again, the guy was gone. There were no trees he could have gone into. There were just fields along that stretch of road, and with the snow it was easy to see the fields. There was a tree line, but it was at least 300 yards back. There's no way he made it to that tree line in six seconds or less. He was nowhere. It was three-plus hours back home to Jersey from there, and we were creeped out every inch of the way. I was petrified I was going to turn around and see him in the back of our van with the dog crate or something. I was never so glad to get home and get out of that car. Old Hag Experiences by G. Michael Vasey I posted on Facebook looking for people who had experienced the old hag. Here are a few of the replies. I've experienced sleep paralysis three times in my life, one very recently. It came immediately after I experienced dream looping, where I have this Groundhog Day effect and I can't wake up. In my dream, I dream that I'm dreaming and then wake up to find that I haven't woke at all and this starts looping into a weird cycle. Once I wake, truly awake, I'll have a physical paralysis and I can't move, yet everything is like being drunk. This last time was bad. I actually threw up afterwards. I've been inquiring on dream walking, feeling that somehow there's a connection. I wonder if the paralysis is due to not fully coming back somehow. Sheila Halverson Once only once, thankfully. Mine was textbook, so not noteworthy, but it was awful nonetheless. I woke up unable to move and felt like there was a very evil presence in the room, and that was terrifying. After about 10 seconds, it passed. Thankfully, I had read exactly what it was, so I came to and knew it was just normal sleep paralysis that I happened to awaken in. Willow Waters I experienced that one time. Someone was calling my name, a woman and a man shaking me on the shoulder. I woke up from it and got sleep paralysis. Thought I was being attacked. That was the only time. Claudia Illusion The Haunted Toy Phone by Janice Kennedy in Arizona this happened when I was about five or six years old. My sister and I were in our shared bedroom one night, and I was playing with a plastic toy phone. I said hello into the receiver and clearly heard an older man's voice say hello back to me. The voice wasn't creepy or weird at all. It sounded like the normal way anyone would say hello. I was still terrified 
of course, and ran to tell my parents. I even asked my dad if he'd just said hello, but he hadn't. As I got older, I kept trying to tell myself that it was just the normal, active imagination of a child. Even though my imagination had always been just about playing pretend with dolls or toys or friends or whatever, but fully aware I was just playing, as opposed to seeing or hearing things that weren't there. But I can still hear that voice in my mind. It didn't sound like anyone I knew, and I never heard a voice on that telephone again. Vodnik, The Czech Evil Water Sprite Extracted from the book The Czech Republic, The Most Haunted Country in the World One of the most famous characters in Czech fairy tales is a water sprite called Vodnik, or Hastroman. You can see him anywhere close to water, and he embodies the spirit of water. He's usually depicted as a green man riding on a catfish. He has green hair, bulging eyes, and water is dripping from his coattails. He's usually described as an evil spirit that likes to harm people and who catches inexperienced swimmers in order to gain their soul. He's very resourceful when it comes to catching souls and will use ribbons and small mirrors to lure girls into the water, for example. He can also change himself into all kinds of animals, such as a horse. But if somebody tries to ride him while he is a horse grazing by the shore of a pond, he jumps into the water with the person on his back and drowns them. He stores his gathered souls in a jar at the bottom of the pond. Then there are the rusalki, female ghosts, mermaids, or water demons that haunt lonely lakes or rivers. Rusalki are believed to be the souls of unbaptized children suicides or unwed mothers who die in childbirth, living in a state of purgatory. Not a Customer Rika Eiji Extracted from the terrifying book Kanashibari – True Encounters with the Paranormal in Japan by Thomas Bowerly this is my friend's story. There's a Japanese crab restaurant, and she works there as a part-timer. After she'd worked there for a while, she heard many strange stories about the restaurant. The stories are about two ghosts that are there. One day, one of the employees she knew saw a man entering the kitchen. He'd never seen the man before, so he assumed he was a customer. He wondered, what is he doing in the kitchen? So he told the owner about it. Oh, he's not a customer, the owner said. He's a ghost. We see him all the time. The owner didn't look scared at all. He's often here walking around, he said. The other story is about a woman wearing a kimono. Some employees talked about seeing her in the restaurant. My friend saw her too. One night, when she had finished her job, she, the owner, and another employee came out of the restaurant. It was 2 a.m. Of course, they had turned off all the lights in the restaurant. However, she saw a red light shining through the window. She thought, did I forget to turn off a light? 
but she was wrong. She looked in the window and saw a woman wearing a kimono standing near the red light. My friend was very surprised and told the other two. Really? The owner said, and they all looked in the window. However, this time, there was no light and no woman. Black-Eyed Kids in Louisiana by G. Michael Vasey A gas station attendant in northeast Louisiana had a terrifying encounter on November 2012. The gas station was creepy enough to begin with at 3 a.m., but then the power went out. Led by the light of his cell phone, the attendant was able to get the generators going, but the backup lighting was dim and only lit up in certain areas, like the cash area and the parking lot, while the rest of the isolated establishment was cloaked in black. Out in that darkness, he noticed movement. Three children on bikes were heading his way. They stood at the door and stared at the attendant. He felt creeped out, but they were just kids and it was way too late for them to be out. He opened the door and asked if they were okay. The young girl asked to use the phone, but as he handed his cell over to her, he realized her eyes were all black. No, I need the real one. She pointed at the landline inside. The thought of letting her inside sent chills up his spine. He shouted at all of them to leave as he slammed and locked the door. The children stood there a bit longer, silently staring at him through the glass with their solid black eyes. Then they got back on their bikes and disappeared back into the darkness. The next morning, the attendant was eager to go through the surveillance footage. Unfortunately, the power outage cut the cameras off, and they didn't boot back up with the generator. He had nothing to prove the events of the night before took place. The Saints Who Could Be in Two Locations at Once From the book Ghosts of the Living by G. Michael Vasey Bilocation is the term often used to describe someone being in two places at the same time. Funnily enough, it's not as rare as you might think. In fact, bilocation is often something attributed to saints and other holy people who can earn their sainthood by being ghosts of the living. Parawiki describes bilocation as bilocation or sometimes multilocation is a term used to describe the ability or instances in which an individual or object is said to be or appears to be located in two distinct places at the same instant in time. Biolocation is a physical rather than spiritual phenomenon, and a person experiencing it is supposedly able to interact with their surroundings as normal, including being able to experience sensations and to manipulate physical objects exactly as if they had arrived through natural means. This makes it distinct from astral projection. In most instances, bilocation is said to be involuntary and not to have been directed by the individual concerned in terms of time or space. Here are a few saints of the church who have been credited with this miraculous ability. 
Trust me, the list is very long and I have picked just a few illustrative examples. Saint Alphonsus Mary de Laguari She was seen in two places at once, in the pulpit preaching a sermon and at the same time taking confession. On the morning of September 21, 1774, a companion of Saint Alphonsus Mary de Laguari watched him sit in an armchair where he appeared to be lost in thought. In fact, he stayed like that for several hours, almost 24 hours. He was asked what had been wrong. He told his companion that he'd been assisting Pope Clement XIV, who had just died. It took a little time for the news of the Pope's death in Rome to arrive, but he had, in fact, died at the very time St. Alphonsus Mary de Liguori had been seated in a trance. St. Paul of the Cross After seeing St. Paul of the Cross aboard a ship and staying on the quay until the ship was very distant, Dr. Gerardini was surprised to see St. Paul of the Cross emerging from a room at a friend's house. He approached him and asked how it were possible that he was in the house since he had just returned from putting him on a ship, and St. Paul is reputed to have replied, Be still, I came here for an act of charity before promptly disappearing. St. Martin de Porres He spent his entire religious life at a monastery in Lima, Peru, but was seen at different times in many other locations, including Mexico, China, Japan, Africa, the Philippines, and France. One Peruvian man, for example, on meeting St. Martin, listened in astonishment to his descriptions of China as well as various people in China also known to him as he had just returned from China. Another witness testified under oath that he had observed the saint ministering to captives on the Barbary coast. St. Francis of Paola was said to have bilocated on several locations, and it is recorded that once, while serving at the altar in the chapel, he was also seen by some of his monks working simultaneously at his chores in the kitchen. In his biography, another example is provided as follows. People who wanted to see him approached the chapel and found him so deep in prayer that they decided not to disturb him. When they returned to the street, they were surprised to see him talking to some people. They hurried back into the chapel and saw him still lost in prayer. Padre Pio Perhaps the best documented example is that a Padre Pio and numerous instances of bilocation have been cited including the testimony of Father Alberto, who met Padre Pio in 1917. I saw Padre Pio standing in front of the window looking at the mountain. He was speaking to himself. I approached him in order to kiss his hand, but he did not notice my presence, and I noticed that his hand was rigid. At that time, I heard that he was clearly giving absolution and pardon to someone. After a while, Padre Pio shook like awaking from a nap. He looked at me and said, You're here. I did not realize it. After some days, a telegram from Turin was delivered. Someone was thanking the superior of the covenant for having sent Padre Pio to Turin to assist a dying person. I realized that the man was dying in the same moment Padre Pio was blessing him in San Giovanni Rotondo. Obviously, the superior of the covenant had not sent Padre Pio to Turin, but he had bilocated there. 
Here's another remarkable recounting of Padre Pio's abilities. In 1946, an American family went from Philadelphia to St. Giovanni Rotondo in order to thank Padre Pio. In fact, their son, a bombardier plane pilot during World War II, had been saved by Padre Pio in the sky over the Pacific Ocean. The son explained, the airplane was flying near the airport on the island where it was going to land after it had loaded its bombs. However, the airplane was struck by a Japanese attack plane. The aircraft exploded before the rest of the crew had the chance to parachute. Only I succeeded in getting out of the airplane. I don't know how I did it. I tried to open the parachute, but I didn't succeed. I would have smashed to the ground if I had not received a friar's help who had appeared in mid-air. He had a white beard. He took me in his arms and put me sweetly at the entrance of the base. You can imagine the astonishment inspired by my story. Nobody could believe it, but given my presence there, they had no choice. I recognized the friar who saved my life some days later while on home leave. I saw the monk in one of my mother's pictures. She told me she had asked Padre Pio to look after me. The Black-Eyed Car Fatality Heading to his car on the third floor of a parking garage when one of the guys from the conference he'd just attended, Doug, asked him to drive around the block a few times. He said there were some freaky-looking kids hanging around his car and was hoping to kill some time while waiting for them to wander off. John let Doug in and they started cruising. When they neared his car, John saw the group Doug was talking about and agreed they were creepy. Three kids, two boys and a girl, all gothed out. The girl looked about 15, the boys around 14 and 10. They were intense, but John described it as if he began itching behind his eyes and really needed to look at them. He stopped driving. The kids maneuvered around his car and the youngest one said, it's scary out there all alone and we just wanted a ride home. Apparently, Doug had interacted with the younger one earlier and had agreed to drive him home, but the two older ones creeped him out and he changed his mind. John felt as if his heart was going to erupt from his throat as adrenaline raced through him. Doug said he was getting out of the car. As soon as he reached for the handle, it was like the children got older somehow and he saw their eyes were solid black. No pupil, no iris, nothing, just black. John threw the car into reverse and squealed the car backwards about 60 feet. The kids began to pursue them. John took the car around the lot's corners, going around 30 miles per hour. He felt that they would die if he let those kids get in the car. He sped down three floors only to find the oldest boy was already at the bottom of the garage when they came out. They sped past him out of the garage, and when John glanced in his rear view, the boy was gone. And so was that menacing feeling that had been building inside him since making contact with those kids. They waited a few minutes before going back, and Doug was able to get in his car and head home. The black-eyed children were nowhere in sight. 
Upon leaving the garage for the second time that night, the menacing feeling returned. John was behind Doug's car watching helplessly as it misjudged the time it would take to get through the intersection on a yellow light. Doug was struck by a truck and died instantly. John saw the three black-eyed children still lurking about two blocks away. From the new Kindle book, G. Michael Vasey, The Chilling True Terror of the Black-Eyed Kids, a chilling compilation. Before we continue, I wanted to take a moment to thank my new friends at BombPod Media Network for inviting me into their family and helping me to get my podcasting legs. While I've been podcasting for years, I never really got noticed because I honestly didn't know what I was doing. I was too focused on my voiceover business and, as of late, spending hours upon hours creating YouTube videos. But honestly, podcasting feels like home. It feels like the radio career I stepped into back in 1990. It's akin to finding your favorite blanket on a cold night, forgetting it was even in the closet, and snuggling up with it with a warm cup of cocoa and just soaking in the comfort. That's what podcasting feels like to me right now, and I couldn't be more thrilled with my new relationship with BombPod Media and the other amazing podcasters with them. You should check out the other great podcasts at their website, bombpodmedia.com. You can find a link to the website in the show notes. I also want to thank those who took time to rate my podcast on iTunes this last week and a half and leave a comment. At the time of this recording, Weird Darkness has jumped to number 27 on iTunes for the keyword paranormal and skyrocketed to number 9 for the word supernatural. I could not have done that without you weirdos who took the time to comment and rate the podcast. Here's what some of you had to say. Great Podcast by Faye J. Number 5 Great Podcast. The narrator's awesome and keeps everything very interesting. I just wish there was more episodes here on iTunes. Well, uh, not to worry, Faye J. Number 5, because more are definitely coming. Subscribe to this channel by Conrad Ken. Darren Marlar is a super-talented storyteller with a golden voice. His choices for the Weird Darkness stories are always great, and he makes each story very interesting. I highly recommend this channel. Thanks, Ken. My God, This Show Is Good <laughs> by Podcast Lover uh, 121 For ghost stories and such, this show is way better than any I've heard on iTunes absolutely professional with top-notch audio. Wow, that what a compliment. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Love This Show by Tony the Mechanic. I love Darren's voice and storytelling. This is a must-have in your podcast list. Jerry and Tracy from Hillbilly Horror Stories. They happen to be one of the podcasts in the Bomb Pop Media Network. You got to check them out. Creepy Good Times by Joel H. Darren does a fantastic job at presenting an old-time creepy vibe with his narration, subjects, and background music. It feels like a throwback to the shows I loved as a kid. Highly recommended. From Joel, this week in True Crime History. Joel, thank you very much. That is a great compliment, and that's actually that's uh, exactly what I was trying to go for. So, glad you caught that. Great Podcast by Rework Rob. 
Kind of like a dark and twisted Paul Harvey type show. Very enjoyable. <laughs> I can't be in better company than Paul Harvey. Thank you, thank you, Rob. Well, I'd love to hear what you think of the podcast. Please take a moment to rate Weird Darkness and leave a review. I might share your comments in a future show. Now, back to the dark. The Quarry in Winter by Ken DeSilva Hill I walk my dog four times a day, whatever the weather or time of year. It gives both of us exercise, but also gives me time to think, away from the burden of the home and its distractions. Our rambles around the small English country village in which we live rarely follow the same route. There is much to see in Kent, and the little village of Charing has some real ancient gems if one is prepared to search for them. The village can claim to be over a thousand years old, having seen settlements from the Iron Age through the Saxons and Romans into the medieval period and right up to the present day. The high street is beautiful, meandering up the hill past the historic marketplace, palace, and church to the heights which is surmounted by a windmill. It runs past houses and buildings which have stood for centuries. Water has never been in short supply here. It collects through the chalk and slowly permeates the ground until centuries later it appears again in the wells, which most houses either still have or once had. Building supplies have always been available. Wood is plentiful and sand, gravel, and chalk abound close by. The sand and shingle of a long-past seabed fill the valley beneath the rich, fertile topsoil, and it's still quarried in the village, the unfilled sandpits now being quite verdant sanctuaries apart from the low moan of wind which rustles through the trees and undergrowth. Until the First World War, chalk was quarried from the low escarpment which follows the ancient pilgrim's way. Today the quarry is a silent retreat for rabbits and other wildlife, overgrown with brambles and bushes, the perfect place for the hide-and-seek games played by the village children or to search for stone roses, fossil sea urchins in the chalk. In the deep of a cold Kentish winter, the quarry is usually thick with snow, deep, crisp, and even. That is, until the tobogganing starts, when from sheds and garages, sleds and sledges old and new are dragged up the steep, sloping white meadow and raced to the bottom with squeals of joy from their riders. A few years ago, we had an unusually heavy fall of snow. Overnight, it built up to form soft banks against the hedgerows and made the lanes around the village impassable to any traffic. We were effectively snowed in and cut off from nearby towns. But of course, this did not stop my morning walk. I had awoken early to that strange silence which heralds the sight of snow as the curtains are pulled back to reveal the day. The sad orange ball of the sun had peeked over the trees in the east very briefly before being swallowed up by gray and forbidding clouds as they swept the sky. In my kitchen, the comforting aroma of brewing coffee and the warmth of the stove invited me to linger over breakfast before buttoning into a sheepskin coat and slipping on stout boots for our chilly walk. 
Millie was eager to be out and wagged her tail excitedly as she watched me tie the laces and then reach out for her harness and leash. Once outside, we crunched through the snow as we made our way across the road. The village street was deserted and silent. Not a soul was stirring at this early hour. Mist formed with every breath, and the trail of our passage across the snow followed us up the hill. It was as if we were alone in the world, the only evidence of others being the gray smoke that issued from odd chimney and wafted gently into the sky. Our walk took us up across the top of the ridge where we could see the village and fields below, a white patchwork of roofs and gardens with strange humps here and there, bushes and cars covered with snow and waiting for the day to warm enough to reveal them again as the snow melted. The quarry lay below us with an unspoiled blanket of snow across the meadow, the blue shadows of the trees fading gently into cold white as the sun struggled to overcome the cloud. We made our way down the slope, and stopping at the stile which bridged the fence, I lifted Millie gently across and followed her into the meadow. I now observed that another lone soul had woken early, as snowy footprints made their way from the stile across the field. A single line of prints wavered across the white expanse and over the ridge in the direction of the village, the way in which we were going. We followed on, Millie stopping now and again to mark her way as dogs are inclined to do. She's always loved the snow, a medium which she sees only occasionally but obviously enjoys much as a child would. She loves to play in the snow as much as she loves the sand on a summer beach. As we passed over the ridge, her behavior changed. She no longer wanted to frolic in the snow and hung behind my heels, keeping close to me with her tail down and giving the odd, quiet whimper. The footprints stretched ahead of us and now took the diagonal direction across the middle of the meadow, away from the path to the bottom stile which led on to the village lane. Curious now, I followed the trail, ready to greet my fellow walker, whoever it was, and to enjoy discussing the weather as we chatted on our way back to our warm homes. It was not to be. Millie and I followed the prince to the exact middle of the field, at which point they stopped in mid-stride. The snow around was crisp, deep, and unspoiled. Only our footprints could be seen alongside the now mysterious trail. It was as if whoever had left the prince had been lifted to heaven suddenly as he or she had strode across the snow. Millie began to howl, something I had never witnessed before. A sad, wild wailing from deep inside her, a sound of despair mixed with fear. I shivered myself in spite of the warmth of the sheepskin coat and the thick sweater below. I suddenly did not want to be on this spot a second more than I had to, as the realization of a strange disappearance ran through me. Millie was tugging to get away, the leash tight and whistling oddly as the cold, brutal wind caused it to vibrate and sing. The feeling of being closely watched came over me as the dog pulled hard back in the direction in which we'd come, and in spite of the willowy sun above, the meadow became cold dark and unwelcoming. 
We made our way back as we had come, the dog now in my arms, shivering and snuggling close to my face for comfort. As we climbed the stile to get out of the field, I looked back across the quarry to the meadow with its trails of our own footprints and those of an unknown person still forming a dark line across the snowy surface. As I looked, I thought I witnessed a very faint glow at the end of the trail. It glimmered briefly and formed into a gentle mist as fresh snow began to fall. For the first time, I noticed that no other footprints than those of me and my dog approached the stile from outside of the field. The line of the other person's prints started inside the meadow at the stile. My wonder became worry as the falling snow thickened more on our way back to the house and its warmth and comfort, the outdoor chill had deepened and the snow fell in thick flurries, making the day dark and silent around us as we walked. That day, I pondered the footprints and experimented in my garden trying to walk backwards in my own prints in case a practical joker was at large. It was impossible to walk in this way, as even if one foot went accurately into the print, one's weight was differently distributed and messed up the print. Short of the very unlikely scenario that the walker had been lifted into a balloon or helicopter midfield or lifted by a crane, there was absolutely no explanation for the disappearance. By next morning, all the evidence had gone, first covered by the previous night's new virgin snow, then later crisscrossed by the trails of children's toboggans as they enjoyed the winter weather. Time passed, and my experience was largely forgotten. Although I continued to walk Millie across the fields and quarry every day, and indeed still do in most places around Charing. But for the last year, I have avoided the quarry with its silence, its old railway trucks once used as shacks for the workers, and its enduring mystery. The reason for this is simple to understand. Last winter was again severe, with cold easterly winds bringing a deep covering of snow, once again making travel about the area either difficult or impossible. At about this time, a young man was missed from the village. He had headed out early on the morning of the snowfall to meet friends at the quarry, the intention being to film a toboggan run for YouTube. His friends arrived later at the stile to find the toboggan propped against the wire fence, the GoPro camera fixed to its deck and still recording as it faced the sky. His footprints stretched away over the ridge and as of those before, stopped abruptly in the middle of the sloping meadow. The young man has never been seen since that day. Of course, the video was checked. It shows a young man wearing a beanie hat looking intently at the camera as he probably makes adjustments to its position. Then the view changes to the sky. A leg and booted foot are then seen in brief as he apparently climbs over the stile the rest of the video is of the sky, as the toboggan leans against the fence where it was found. It filmed a lonely passenger jet, leaving a contrail high in the sky as it passed towards the east on a long journey to somewhere, the movement of the clouds, and a little later, recorded two of the friends as they discovered the abandoned sledge and turned off the camera. Gone. Never to be seen again.
Today, observing the meadow from the stile, I note that the cows avoid the middle, which stays lush with long grass while all else is nibbled low. At the height of summer, the grass is sparse and yellow across the field, but green and gold at the point at which the footprints stopped. On a satellite view, the patch is easily seen from far above, which is how I prefer to view it. Far away is not far enough for me. What happened in the meadow? We will likely never know. I have a theory about this mystery, as I'm sure others in the village will have too. It is a silly and strange theory, and I do not wish to be seen as a fool, so I keep it to myself. I no longer walk the quarry in winter, and in fact I no longer walk in the quarry at all, whatever the time of year. But something tells me that the quarry will remain in my mind forever. I wait until the next time, as I'm sure it will happen again. And is this a true account? Visit the quarry yourself, or Google it, and make your own decision. The Black-Eyed Stalker Working the night shift for a data center in Ohio, a man had a creepy exchange and posted his tale anonymously as noetic. It was around 5 a.m. on July 31, 2010. Noetic was taking a smoke break outside when he noticed two teenage boys standing motionlessly and staring at him from across the street. Immediately feeling unnerved, he snubbed out his smoke and went back inside. No more than 10 minutes later, the intercom buzzed. Noetic checked the monitors, and there they were. The two boys had made their way over to his building and were now staring into the surveillance camera like they could see him through it. Through the speaker, he asked what they wanted. They said nothing, but motioned for him to come outside. He hit the speaker button again and told them to go away. They didn't leave, but continued to stare into the camera as if they were watching Noetic as he worked. Noetic was fed up after about 10 minutes of this creep fest, so he went to the door to chase them off. Right before opening the door, he saw them through the one-way glass and was horrified to see their eyes were completely black. He knew he had to open up the door and tell them to get out, and he decided he'd call the police if he had to. As if the boy read his mind, the moment the door opened, he said, "'That will not be necessary, sir. We simply need to use your phone. Can you let us in?' Noetic was not about to fall for that nonsense. He pulled out his cell and threatened to call the police if they didn't leave. He made sure the door was locked, and he went back to the monitor. Only one boy was still there staring at the camera. Then he realized the second boy positioned himself out back and was staring into camera three. Noetic called the police. Both boys moved into a blind spot with no camera coverage. Noetic waited for them to reappear. But they never did. They simply vanished. The police arrived at 6 a.m. and both boys were gone. My Mother's Cat by Thomas Bowerly from the book Kanashibari, True Encounters with the Paranormal in Japan. 
I went to the U.S. recently for my mother's funeral. She was a great lady, and she will be missed by many. But she lived a good, long, joyful life and died at the age of 92, so we can be happy she lived a good life. Two days after the funeral, I was sleeping on the couch in the living room of the family home. My sisters and in-laws and nephews were all sleeping in the bedrooms upstairs. For some reason, I was wide awake and couldn't sleep. The shutters on the windows were all wide open, as my mother had liked to keep them, and I closed them, as I didn't like the idea of anyone being able to look in and see me sleeping. Just then, the family cat walked into the room. He had one window, which was his window, as it looked out on the bird feeder and he liked to sit and watch the birds and lick his lips while they ate the seeds my mother put into the feeder. But he liked to sit on a chair and stare out that window and watch the world at all hours of the day and night, as cats like to do. He saw the shutter was closed and looked at me, but I was feeling too tired and lazy to get up, so I just said, tough luck, cat, you'll have to wait until morning, and laid back down on the couch. Suddenly, there was a loud scratching on the window, as if someone or something was rattling the window frame behind the closed shutter. I stared at the window, trying to figure out what was making the sound. The window is set about four feet above the ground outside, so there was no chance that some animal would be scratching at the window screen. It got louder and louder until I got up and opened the shutter and looked outside. There was nothing there. The second I had opened the shutter, the scratching noise stopped. The cat jumped up onto the chair and took his usual position for looking outside the window. He purred contentedly as if someone were stroking him and sat there happily for several minutes afterwards. My mom always loved that cat, and I couldn't help but think it was her calling to me to open the shutters and let the cat have his window to look out of. Do you have a true tale to tell? Share your story at WeirdDarkness.com. If you like the podcast, please post a review and subscribe. If you're already an official weirdo, please do me the honor of sharing this episode on your own social media and email a link to the show to all your friends and family. Invite them to become weirdos, too. Find links to all of this episode's stories and the books they're taken from in this show's description. Music in this episode is provided by Shadows Symphony. You can find them online at facebook.com slash shadows symphony. For Marlar House Productions, I'm Darren Marlar, and thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop! At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS, wireless, figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. From the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. 
Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Learn more about gig speed internet or other popular plans. With Xfinity, you'll enjoy faster downloads and a better streaming experience. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed.